Uh, welcome to the Fantastic Forecast, episode 659. I'm Dave Elliott, and Halloween is later this month. Oh, it's the worst time of year. If you're an anti-masker, Halloween is how they control you. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I'll be talking about a different issue or issues of the Fantastic Four. Today, it's Fantastic Four Empire Fallout number one, released in September 2020 by Dan Slott and Sean Izaxi. The issue starts on the blue area of the moon, home of the Watcher, but isn't he dead? But there is a new Watcher in town, or in moon, it seems to be. Anyway, the FF are up, FF are up there. When a ship arrives from Earth carrying the replacement Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Valeria, and Franklin, along with Alicia and the Scroll and the Kree children, whose names I can't remember. The Scroll girl is going to give Alicia a tour of the area, which must be a lot of fun for Alicia. I know you can't see it, but here's a pile of gray dirt. And over here, it's another mound of gray dirt. Next, Doric the Eight appears, aka the King of Space, aka Doric Supreme, aka the Hulkling, aka Teddy from the Young Avengers. The Scroll and the Cree kids bow down in front of him, which is very embarrassing, I think. He says some crap about how the two kids were bred to keep Cree and Scroll hate alive but they brought the two races together, you know, with love. Some guards come by dragging the prisoner Kwa, leader of the Kotati, and he's like, everything would have worked perfectly if not for you annoying animals and your interfering little cubs. He should have called them meddling kids because this is a very Scooby-Doo moment. Over with Wolverine, he can smell something, or someone is watching them. Thor tells them this is the new Watcher, a guy called The Unseen. And that's it. This is really jumping around a lot. Iron Man, Captain America, and Reed are questioning Kwa, and they ask him where the Kotati got these advanced weapons. But Kwa refuses to answer them and tells them to go choke on it. Reed says he was worried this might happen, so he called in a specialist. A specialist on choking on it? Out of the ship that lands comes this lady, the profiteer from that gambling planet early in the Empire story. Empire pulled a Last Jedi here, had a gambling planet side story that went nowhere. They have her look at the Kotati weapons and she knows where they came from, but she says it's gonna cost them. And then Thor says that he's gonna go take care of the Kotati prisoners. How exactly would Thor do that? Asgardian prison? Sue puts Kwa in a force field and Franklin uses his powers to round out the rest of the Kotati, and Thor teleports him to some kind of barren rock in space. Kwa complains that this place is, you know, a barren rock. So Thor bangs his hammer on the ground and a bunch of plants and trees immediately grow. Like what the hell? How the hell can Thor have magic powers to terraform a planet? I haven't read a Thor comic in a very very long time, but how the hell did he become so powerful? So Kwa says that that will now suffice. Kwa mentions that he doesn't recognize any of the star patterns, so he has no idea where in space they are. And then Franklin asks Thor, why he gave up his godlike nature powers. I guess Thor just lost his nature powers when he used them? Thor's like, well, I used them for a good reason. Back on the moon with the Fantastic Four, Wolverine, Captain Marvel, they're spreading the ashes of the Kree and Skrull warriors who've died. Ones that we've, uh, ones that we've seen before fighting a never-ending battle on the blue area of the moon. Next, Johnny and Spider-Man without his mask on are chatting. Turns out Spidey and Wolverine did take the kids to Disneyland. 
which seems very irresponsible in the year 2020. And next, Peter's like, So, you have a soulmate now? Which sounds like a question from a jealous ex-boyfriend. It's a weird tone of anger coming from Peter Parker here. Johnny tells him that how he met Skye, and then Peter mentions that he's back together with Mary Jane. Back with that profiteer lady, she says that the Kotati weapons are ancient weapons that predate even the elders of the universe. And she adds that she wants, as payment, crystalline batteries from the sword and the Kree and Scroll kids. Great! She can have them! Oh crap. None of the superheroes want to let her have the kids back. So there's about to be a big fight, but then the profiteer is waving this contract around that she has with the Kree and the Scroll empires. But Teddy grabs the contract, saying that there are no Kree, there is no Kree empire, and there is no Scroll empire anymore. Now it's the Kree Scroll Alliance. Huh. See, if you want to get out of a bad contract, just change your name. Why did Billy Joel think of that? And then Teddy announces that he's placing the kids, Jovine and Nikala, into their care. And Reed and Sue are like, we're honored. And Teddy's like, and I guess here's the surprise twist. Teddy's like, no, not you. You, Ben and Alicia. And so now Ben and Alicia have kids? Without Alicia never, without Alicia ever having to become pregnant? Which would be very difficult for her since she's married to a, you know, a rock monster. So they all seem happy about that, and I'm, and I'm like, uh... I knew I should have done that Moon Knight podcast instead. It's funny, in the 1970s and 80s, the problem for the Fantastic Four writers was what to do about Franklin. How to, get, how to tell a story when you've got a little kid hanging around. Usually it was ship him off to Agatha Harkness's place or something like that. Now it's like, let's keep saddling the Fantastic Four with more kids and more kids. Children that the Fantastic Four will inevitably put up in great danger because Reed and Sue and Ben now are clearly unfit to be anybody's parents. And then the issue ends with this new Watcher guy, the Unseen, watching all the Earth, Earth ships take off and fly away. And then... He starts to figure out where those old weapons came from. From the oldest race of all. And then he has some kind of cosmic entity vomit session. And this Watcher flies out of his mouth and comes alive. It's Uatu the Watcher, reborn. He had been killed at one point and his right eye was gouged out. In events not addressed in the pages of the Fantastic Four, I don't think. The one-eyed Uatu doesn't seem happy. And he says, There shall be... A reckoning. A reckoning for what? And so that's the end of the Empire Fallout issue. What a weird comic. Is the return of Uatu supposed to be the setup for the next big crossover? Because I hate when they do that. Hi, welcome to Fantastic Forecast episode 659, part 2. Today, it's Fantastic Four, volume 6, number 24, from September 2020, Cold Snap, by Dan Slott and Paco Medina. So the issue begins on Yancey Street, with Johnny and his girlfriend Skye flying to a dinner with the family. The dinner is to celebrate that the paperwork has cleared, and Joe and Nikki, the Scroll and the Cree kids, are now officially Ben and Alicia's kids. Wait, what? This is a lightning-fast adoption. They're adopting two kids, two alien kids. And I don't think these kids ever had visas. 
undocumented alien kids in Donald Trump's America. Just like that. So quickly. Now we get a bit of a whiny Johnny Storm complaining about not being married and not having children. Sky is like, Children? You want offspring? We haven't even been on a first date yet, she says. Wait, what? <laughs> they haven't been on a first date yet? Have they only been having sex? Not once have they gone out to get dinner together? That seems very strange. These are supposed to be soulmates. They haven't even had dinner together. And I'm still not over this whole Ben and Alicia have adopted Joe and Nikki thing. This seems very permanent. Why does Marvel Why does Marvel let Dan Slott create these two shitty characters and stick them in the Fantastic Four forever? What kind of blackmail material does Dan Slott have on Marvel? The scroll girl is trying on a new outfit and he, and she says to Alicia after she mentions Reed, "The accursed leader of the Fantastic Four is now my uncle? That will take some getting used to." And then Ben comes in with the Cree boy who has a New York Yankee shirt on. Apparently, He's quickly become a fan. I find it hard to believe that a kid who grew up in the field of high-stakes arena death fighting would find joy in baseball. Ben mentions to him that the Yankees shirt is just a shirt and he can put on another one whenever he wants. The kid says, I have more than one garment? What kind of unruly world is this? What unbridled decadence? Was this kid raised on an alien world? or raised by Mark Zuckerberg. Next we see Valeria and Reed working on some invention and Sue comes in and tells them that dinner's ready. And then Sue calls Franklin, who isn't in the house. He says he's on Krakoa. Apparently the X-Men have turned the island from Giant Size X-Men 1 into their headquarters and now Franklin is wearing an X-Men uniform. He says he goes there all the time and we see him hanging out with the other mutant kids. Sue notices that Franklin has one of his ears pierced and orders him to come home right away. Iceman, for some reason, offers to give Franklin a ride home. A minute later, they come flying out of the portal, which is in the Washington Square Arch, and they slide, they're sliding on one of Iceman's ice slides, and they land near the door to the Fantastic Four headquarters. And when they get there, the security system recognizes two members of the Fantastic Four. Apparently, Iceman was once a member of the team? Wait, what? No, he wasn't. They get inside, where the rest of the family is w waiting. The Fantastic Four now has ten regular characters, by the way. Sue is still upset that Franklin got his ears pierced. Ear pierced. Johnny's like, hey, Iceman, he was never a member of the Fantastic Four. I know, right? I did a podcast on every single issue. I think I would have noticed. Johnny says they just teamed up once. Nice man says he was inducted and had a four on his chest and everything. So this takes us into a flashback starting at the old Baxter building. Reed is serving breakfast to Johnny and Sue. Ben comes in carrying a big bag of mail along with Willie Lumpkin. Ben dumps the bag right there on the kitchen table while everyone is trying to eat. Sue immediately notices that she didn't get a single letter. I have no idea how she figured that out so quickly. Johnny starts opening up his mail. It all seems to be for him, which, yeah, in the real world, he would totally be the most famous person on the Fantastic Four. Young, single, good-looking, etc. He has one letter from Marvel Comics saying that the recent issue of Strange Tales, starring the Human Torch, outsold the Fantastic Four's comic. Yeah, yeah, right. 
I know these are just a fictional version of these comics in the Marvel Universe, but it would still be very unbelievable if Johnny's Strange Tales outsold Fantastic Four. Ben gets pissed off and pulls a sink out of the wall and douses Johnny with water from a busted pipe, which is the kind of stupid shit that Ben would have actually done in the 1960s. Oh, what an asshole. So Johnny accuses everyone of being jealous and he flies off in a huff. Just then, an emergency alarm goes off with multiple emergencies around town. It doesn't cross their minds to pull out the FF flare gun and signal Johnny to come back for help. Meanwhile, at the mansion of the X-Men, the original X-Men are there. This is an early 1960s era story. Iceman is about to take a turn in the danger room and telling everyone, Watch out, guys! This is where I break all your records! Yes, he's going to break any record that isn't Judy Garland. You see, it's the 1960s and Iceman is... Oh, forget it. Cyclops tells him to hold it, hold on while he turns on the safety devices. Iceman says that he doesn't need no safety device, and then the room starts shooting lasers at him, and a big buzzsaw almost cuts him in half. Now, I think he wants those safety devices. So he comes away from the danger room, defeated and embarrassed in front of his teammates, who laugh at him. So he slides off in a huff, heading towards the city, I suppose. Back in New York City, the Fantastic Four, without Johnny, encounter a tank driven by guys from AIM, the evil organization that has both tried to take over the world and had a popular internet messenger back in the uh, early 21st century. They blow up a Roxxon gas trunk, truck and Sue protects people from the flames with her force field and she says that she wishes her brother was there to control the flames. I guess Iceman is on his way. He spent decades controlling his flames. When Iceman arrives he puts out the flames and the fight with AIM is over. Ben says they're shortchanged and asks if he wants to sit in for a while and hang out with the Fantastic Four. Okay, when Ben uses the phrase, hang out with the Fantastic Four, he is clearly not asking Iceman to join the Fantastic Four. Iceman proceeds to draw a four symbol on his chest in the ice. Next, we see a montage of Iceman with the Fantastic Four fighting various villains. Doombots, the Red Ghost, and the Super Apes, and the Puppet Master. And they say these adventures took place all on the same day! Oh, that was a very busy day. The X-Men see Iceman and the Fantastic Four that night on, on the evening news and figure out that he's with the Fantastic Four now. Still, Johnny was right. This is clearly a team-up situation. Next, we see Johnny in the malt shop, sitting at the counter using his powers to impress some of the teenage girls there. This is what young guys used to do back before they could post pictures and videos on Instagram or TikTok. Head on down to the malt shop and put on a show for the girls. One of the girls mentions the Fantastic Four, and he replies that he's flying solo now. The shop clerk points to the TV and says, You're not kidding. You have moved on from the FF. On the TV, they can see the FF fighting alongside Iceman. Johnny is, of course, a lunatic who is suddenly jealous that somebody took his place. I guess he was expecting them to replace him with a cheap robot and not an actual person. He's like, hell no. Nah. Meanwhile, the FF with Iceman are fighting this big robot creature that swings a big cosmic hammer called the Weapon of Kank Westa. Johnny shows up pissed off that he's been replaced. He tells Iceman to take a hike. And right there in the middle of the fight with the big robot, Johnny starts fighting with Iceman. Sue has to put them in two force bubbles until they agree to play nice. They decide to work together, and they use their fire and ice powers on the creature's giant hammer weapon. 
And like when you pour hot water on a frozen windshield, it totally cracks apart. The creature's like, Bah, that was my tether to this reality, curse you. You five have forced me back down to my home dimension. And he fades away. His tether to reality, huh? I think the same thing would happen to me if my porn collection was destroyed. So now Johnny's like, We need to get rid of all our unwanted pest. And points to Iceman. Just in Icy... Is that his nickname? Icy? I don't think so. He gets a mental call from Professor X, which has to be the worst thing ever. By the way, how is Iceman in the closet for all these years with all these mind readers around? Iceman slides off with Reed saying, feel free to drop by whenever you want. I guess whenever you want means once every 55 years or so. So back in the present, Iceman is wondering why Johnny's so annoyed by his presence and he concludes that is because the FF are like a family, and Iceman is not part of this family. Iceman de-ices and now, he's got blonde hair? Same haircut as Johnny? He looks exactly like him. What is up with that? Johnny says that if you count this adventure from the flashback, that makes Iceman the first replacement member of the Fantastic Four. And as he joins them for dinner, someone says that that makes him part of the family. And that is the end of the issue, which is a really stupid ending. The flashback took place before even Franklin was born. So, well, the aging of Franklin is weird, but still, it's gotta be at least 10 years in the past. If someone shows up 10 years later and has dinner with me and my family, we're not saying, oh, you're part of the family, because he most definitely is not. Other than appearances by the entire X-Men, this has gotta be Iceman's first guest starring role here in the Fantastic Four. But I guess any superhero that shows up, Doctor Strange, Black Knight, Captain Marvel, Falcon, Man-Thing, Moon Knight, would get treated just as hospitably. Okay, maybe not Moon Knight. But you know, overall, I enjoyed this issue. One of my favorites in the Dan Slot run so far. I guess doing it an issue that is mostly flashback, with all the kids being absent, is the key to my heart. I give this issue a 3 on a scale of 1 to 4. So now it's time for another flashback of sorts. Hi, welcome to the Fantastic Forecast, episode 659, part 3. Today, our selection from the Fantastic Wheel of Doom, Supervillain Team-Up number 3, cover dated December 1975. If Vengeance Fails, writer, gym shooter, artist, George Evans. We pick up where we left off a couple episodes ago with Namer, the Submariner's former girlfriend, Betty Dean, has been killed by the collective forces of Atuma, Tiger Shark, and Dr. Dorcas. So he goes trying to fight all three of them at the same time without much success. So as they keep kicking Namer's ass, Dr. Doom steps out of the shadows. So Doom tells them, actually commands them to stop, and they do after he zaps the shit out of them with jolts of electricity from his metal gauntlet. He knocks the three of them out, and Namor asks for Doom's help, but Doom smacks him on the back of the head. Didn't, didn't Doom read the title of this book? They're supposed to be teaming up! When Namor wakes up, he sees Doctor Doom fighting with Atuma and Tiger Shark. This is a very confusing scene, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. It looks like maybe Doom is about to kill the two villains. 
But then Namer disagrees with that and is going to try to stop him. But then Tiger Shark is about to attack Namer, so Doctor Doom teleports the two of them away. They appear in Doctor Doom's ship when Namer is just so tired, he falls over and takes a nap. Doctor Doom is thinking out loud. I guess he likes to talk to himself. He says that in order to have Namer as an ally, he needs to be his friend. Always good advice. You know, I remember before World War II, Franklin Roosevelt used to take Stalin bowling, Mussolini and Hitler used to have sleepovers, and recently Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi like to go to hair salons together. Doom says about Namer, together we will shake the world. Shake the world? That seems like a weird way to use that phrase. Bad news usually shakes the world. That's the only context I've ever heard the phrase used, but I assume Dr. Doom means it in a positive way. Namer later wakes up in a pool of what appears to be yellow water? Don't ask. I don't want to know. Some scantily clad woman is there. A human woman. She says that he's in Castle Doom and that he was sleeping in a special chemical brine bath. Yeah, that was totally a, not a pool of piss. And then another woman comes in and gets Namer to, talk to take him to go see Dr. Doom. I've never seen Doom having all these female servants at the castle before. Doom tells Namer that he's been studying the defenses of the Hydro base, and after that, they're going to plan their attack. Why? Maybe, I forget, I don't think it was ever explained why Namer went to Hydro base in the first place. I thought it was a random thing that happened, and I don't know why Namer wants to go there now. Turns out, as revealed on the next page, it is to avenge the death of Betty Dean, which is an odd mission for Dr. Doom, but he's trying to be Namer's friend. Doom says, I know you would never be content to join me in a crusade against the surface world while the murder of Betty Dean is unavenged. You know, considering that Atuma was kicking Namer's ass earlier, and you can trust that Atuma is a bad guy, why doesn't Doom just make a team up with Atuma? I mean, there should be a team up with Atuma, but it's not Atuma. We see that Doom has a room full of scientists working on weapons. Okay, not a room full, but there's three, all wearing different colored jumpsuits. Orange, red, blue. Namer says he's impressed, which if you saw these losers in jumpsuits working away, you would strongly disagree. Next, Dr. Doom criticizes Namer for being too emotional, and Namer proceeds to have an emotional outburst. Touché, Dr. Doom. Touché. But soon, Namer calms down saying that Doom is right and agrees to work with him. And on Hydro Base, Atuma forces are still searching the island for Dr. Jennings, the escaped amphibian man. They need him to service the Octomex, which are these vehicle things with octopus-like legs. Tiger Shark and Dr. Dorcas, Tiger Shark and Dr. Dorcas, look up and see Dr. Doom flying over in his ship. Doom throws out a device which attaches to Tiger Shark and saps his power. Dr. Dorcas takes his gun and blasts the device. And then, Doom uses his ship and destroys all the Octomechs. I guess they don't need to find Dr. Jennings now. Next, we see Atuma run outside to fight, join the fight, just as Namer sneaks in and frees all the amphibian people being held hostage. After three issues, I still don't understand what Atuma and his friends are doing. And then Namer busts into another room, where they seem to be torturing this one red-skinned lady. She's wearing a mini skirt and a revealing top with stars on each boob over each nipple. Looks like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader from Mars. Namer beats up the Atlantean thug guarding her. Next, 
Namor sneaks up behind these three bad guys and zaps them with an energy weapon that frees them, but it takes time. He has to wait a few seconds for it to fully take effect. And then he quits and he smashes the gun and he says, no, by the steeds of Titan, this is not vengeance. Yes, in the 1970s, vengeance was covering someone's front yard in toilet paper and putting a flaming bag of dog poop on their front door and ringing the doorbell. That's vengeance. So, the Submariner has his own idea of vengeance, flying over to the three of them and beating the shit out of them. Hey, it's a comic. What are you going to do? And then, from being shot at, Doom's ship crashes to the ground. I guess. He gets out and some Atlantean jester guy is there mocking him, saying, Doom, diddly doom, da da doom doom. What the hell is going on? This comic book is total nonsense. This guy continues to mock Doom for several panels and is digging into the ground for some reason. Back with Namor, he's still fighting the three bad guys when Dr. Dorcas grabs a gun and is about to shoot Namor. And over with Dr. Doom, with his armor's power depleted, some Atlanteans have his face down in the dirt. And one guy named Kor Khan has his foot on the back of Doom's head. Like, really? This is Dr. Friggin' Doom being manhandled by three common Atlantean thugs? It's highly unlikely this would happen in a book written by a decent writer, but Jim Shooter is not. He's like the most successful bad comic book writer of all time, isn't he? Now, this is ridiculous. Somehow, right by Doom's hands, while he's being held down in the sand, are two unexploded missiles. Yes, not one, but two of them. Small, hand-sized missiles which the Atlanteans fail to notice when Doom grabs the two missiles and bangs them together and they explode. The Atlanteans are killed in this fairly graphic panel of these shadowy Atlanteans getting blown to pieces and Doom, with his armor, emerges still alive. He's definitely going to need to visit his tailor after this adventure. Meanwhile, Namor is still fighting with Tiger Shark and Dr. Dorcas He's still aiming, trying to get a shot at Namor. Namor punches Tiger Shark in the ear. Ouch! I have sensitive ears, I would hate that. Dorcas shoots from like 10 feet away and misses. He's pretty awful with that gun. Namor throws Tiger Shark at Dorcas and misses. And then Dorcas looks behind him and is horrified by... Thank God for captions, this art makes no sense. It's one of those machines with tentacles. It's hit by Tiger Shark and it falls over on Dr. Dorcas. And then we see Atuma being held by Dr. Jennings and by some other green amphibian men, and they, are they strong enough to do that? I thought Atuma was a pretty powerful dude. They're going to put him in one of their amphibian jails. Oh yeah, that's gonna keep him prisoner, at least until the end of one issue. Namor looks out on the beach and sees Dr. Doom with that jester who was mocking him earlier, and Doom is not pleased. He says to the jester, you mimicked me before, Jester. Here then, play again. Show us what Dr. Doom did. And he hands the Jester two more unexploded missiles, which the Jester bangs together as Doom did a little while ago. And then the Jester blows up and is killed. Neighbor points out that this was cold-blooded murder on Dr. Doom's part. But was it? The Jester banged the missiles together of his own accord, whatever, in a really terrible issue that makes no sense. The appearance of this Jester character makes the least amount of sense of all. I mean, what was Atuma thinking when heading to the island? Teammates Tiger Shark and Dr. Dorcas, check. 
Atlantean thugs, check. Octo ships, check. Court jester, check. Still, Namer has understandable concerns. We have won, Doom. Yet I wonder, what manner of soulless creature am I allied with? Uh, the asshole's name is Dr. Doom. Get a clue, Subby. Doom replies, beware. One day, when your precious feelings again stay you from your duty towards me, I may turn on you and dissolve our alliance with your death. Like, really? You say this to someone you want to have a friendship with? Doom in this issue, as is the Submariner, both complete idiots. I cannot begin to say how ter how horrible this issue is. Just a dreadful mess. Why are they even? Why are they teaming up for what purpose, other than getting revenge for killing Betty Dean? I don't understand what anyone in these three issues was hoping to accomplish. Oh, the next issue box promises a new direction. Gee, I hope so. Welcome to Fantastic Forecast episode 659 part 4. Today it's Supervillain Team Up number 4, cover dated February 1975, but I think that should be 1976. A Time of Titans by Bill Mantlo and artist Herb Trimpey and Jim Mooney. Surprisingly, we pick up right where we left off last issue, so much for the bold new direction. Namer is upset at Doctor Doom calling him a murderer. Doom is like, you shut your mouth, or you'll end up like Atuma's jester. And Namer is like, don't turn your back on me, and he grabs Doom by the arm, and Doom is like, don't be grabbing my arm, dude. So he later, he tries to zap Namer with his gauntlet energy ray, but Namer shrugs it off, tries to pick up a boulder and drop it on Dr. Doom, but he shrugs it off, and Doom zaps Namer in the chest, and he shrugs it off. There appears to be a, some kind of naval vessel off the coast, and then Captain is looking through some binoculars, which apparently have another use other than looking in a neighbor's window, and he sees Namer and Doom fighting on the beach. A sailor asks, What do you make of it, Captain? And the Captain snaps back, It's not my job to make anything of it, sailor. That seems unnecessary. He tells his subordinate to go notify their passenger below deck that they found out what they're looking for. The young sailor heads downstairs and finds this guy in a purple leisure suit working on some equipment. He's got a mustache, so it goes without saying he looks like a 1970s porn star. He says, He's located what I need to power my creation. So the guy in the purple suit tells the kid to tell the captain that he has informed him and that he's not to be disturbed. The young sailor calls him Captain Riker, which is a total porn star name. Riker goes back to working on his computers. Based on the captions, he seems to be a character from the Deathlock comic book, which I have not read, and I've read just about everything from the 1960s and 70s Marvel. Up on deck, some long arm with some balls on the end of it come out of the panel that opens up. One sailor says it's kind of funny that they have a guy downstairs playing mad scientist. And the other sailor is like, it ain't funny, it's kinda scary. He must be from New York City, and he knows what happens with mad comic book scientists around. Down below, Riker seems happy, saying, there, all systems are working. He gets an image on the view, f on the view screen of Namer and Doctor Doom fighting on the island. He could have used a cheap pair of binoculars for that. Their power was the power that he detected, which he says could be used to bring his creation to life. 
and we see some kind of person or Frankenstein's monster floating in a thing of liquid. He seems to think it's going to be some kind of super soldier. So back on the beach, Doom and Namor are still fighting on the rocks, water splashing all around. I don't know about you, but if I was wearing a heavy suit of armor, I'd stay away from the water. And if I was fighting some kind of amphibious man, I'd stay away from the water too. So they're fighting, and Namor picks up Doctor Doom and throws him at the boat. The captain says, good lord, there's a man flying at us from that atoll. <laughs> battle stations, battle stations, the alarm goes off, and the crew starts running around the ship. And then, as if he was in the air for several minutes it seems, Doom finally hits the ship so hard it rocks from side to side, and everyone on the ship is falling over. We see that there's a big hole in the side of the ship, with Doctor Doom standing there, and Namor comes flying over to keep fighting some more, the captain is like, holy crud, it's the Submariner! And another sailor says, what in heck have we stumbled into? They didn't stumble into anything. They were looking for trouble with that creepy scientist guy in a purple suit leading the way. Next, Doctor Doom is shooting lasers out of the ship at Namor, while this Riker guy sneaking up behind, Na <laughs> sneaking up behind Doctor Doom with this mechanism Looks like a big set of headphones. He puts it on Dr. Doom's head. It immediately starts to drain Doom's powers. And we see that man floating in the vat of protogen gel. And it says, He draws a breath and comes alive. He's alive! He's alive! Namor, after being blasted, falls into the water. A caption says, To his death? With a question mark. Dr. Doom turns his attention to Riker, who fires a gun at Doom which Doom shrugs off. Powerless or not, he's still wearing a suit of armor. He's like, I warned you, Dr. Doom. And then Doom comes over, picks him up, throws his ass out of, into one of those large 1970s computers, and Doom walks away. I'm surprised he let Riker live. He killed that jester for far less. Taking his power away is one thing. Mocking him is another. Doom jumps off the ship like he's gonna dive into the water. But then, those jet things on his belt turn on and he goes flying off. In the chaos, Riker is like, The vat! The vat! Is the vat okay? And a sailor is like, Yeah, it's okay. That creepy thing inside it is alive, though. You know, nothing good ever comes out of a vat. Whether it is food, or people, or pets. You don't want to get a pet from a vat of pets. So underwater, Namor is having a real hissy fit punching some rock walls and acting like a child. He proclaims that he's going to have vengeance on Doctor Doom, and we get a close-up of his face. So swears the true Submariner. The true Submariner? Was there ever a imposter Submariner? That's a weird thing to say. Well, well anyway, that's it. The new direction for Supervillain Team-Up, which is totally not a new direction at all but a continuation of the previous crappy story they've been doing for three issues already. Why do they even call this supervillain team-up, by the way? They are definitely not teaming up. So anyway, that's the end of our supervillain team-up issues for this episode. I guess we'll get issues five and six the next time they come up on the wheel. And so here's what we have on the wheel right now. Number one, issues one and two of Fantastic Four World's Greatest Comic Magazine. Number two, Fantastic Four Secret Invasion Issues 1, 2, and 3. Number 3. Issues 5 and 6 of Supervillain Team-Up. Number 4. 
Challengers of the Fantastic. Number 5. Another DC Marvel special, Fantastic Four Superman. Number 6. Fantastic Four X-Men issues 1 and 2. Number 7. Something I call issue 44, which is I'll be picking a random 44th issue of any comic book from my collection. Number 8. Episode 1 of the Fantastic Four radio show from the early 1970s. Number 9. Marvel 2-in-1, a random issue. Number 10. Fantastic Four, a random issue of a comic book I've already done a podcast on. Number 11. Inspired by this issue, I'll do a ranking of all the replacement members of the Fantastic Four. These are people who were really members of the Fantastic Four. There's people like Crystal, She-Hulk, Spider-Man, yes, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Hulk, Iceman, no, and number 12. For this, it's the last Fantastic Four story from 2007. If I land on this, it will be the last Fantastic Four story I ever do on this podcast, meaning this podcast will come to an end. And so now it's time to spin the Fantastic Wheel of Doom. So now here we got spinning is the last Fantastic Four stories, Superman radios, Marvel 2 and 1, FF random, and we are on. <laughs> the replacements. Yes, I just added it to the wheel and it came up on the wheel. It is the ranking of all the Fantastic Four replacement people, uh, starting from the worst, which is, I'm going to guess, is going to be the she thing, to the very best. Who I know who that is too, but I'll save that for the episode. So coming on the next episode, the 25th issue of Fantastic Four Volume 6. A ranking of all the replacement FF members. And is that it? No wait, there's more! The next episode coming on November 10th, 2020 is the special 10th anniversary episode. And so as a special bonus, I'm going to spin the wheel a second time. And since I don't have a replacement yet for the category of replacements, there are now 11 items on the wheel. As a special bonus, I double the spin time for more drama. Let's see what happens next. Okay, it's starting to slow down now. We've got uh, Radio, Last FF, World's Greatest, Secret Invasion, Super Villain Team Up, Challenges of the Fantastic. Fantastic Four Radio, and we're on to Marvel 2-in-1. And so our next step is to go to a random number generator. There are 100 issues of Marvel 2-in-1. I will put in 1 to 100 and see what comes up. So I've pulled it up, and I'm ready. Time to generate, and I got the number 31. So let me pause here and see what that is. So I've grabbed my volume of Marvel Masterworks, volume 256. I will open it up, flip through the issues here, and we have, what do we got here? Okay, Marvel 2-in-1, issue 31. It is The Thing. Alone against the Mystery Menace. So that's it. Like, the only non-team-up issue of the Marvel 2-in-1, plus a mystery villain. I suppose. Anyway, yeah. 
I'm excited for this next episode. It's the 10th anniversary of the Fantastic Forecast. Marvel, uh, Marvel 2 and 1, 31. Yay, Fantastic Four 25. Eh. And a ranking of all the replacement members of the FF. So, if you have any questions about Betty Dean, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can download episodes at Apple Podcasts or find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. Her salt box house on the coast took a mind off St. Louis. Bill was the heir to the Standard Oil name and money. And the town said, how did a middle-class divorce say do it? Wedding was charming if a little gauche There's only so far new money goes They picked out a home and called it Holiday House Their parties were tasteful if a little loud The doctor had told him to settle down It must have been her fault his heart gave out And they said, there goes the last great American dynasty 